0: welcome to story comic presents where we interview amazing storytellers and artists this is episode 206 i'm your host barney smith of storycomic.com and we're excited to have back with us the award-winning artist historian cartoonist and educator Robert Burnell Jr. Robert, how are you? Hello. Glad to be back. Yeah. So so Robert, you're here. You've sit you were on a couple months ago and you already have two more books <laughs> that you want to talk about. I mean, there's like there is as we said in your previous interviews, there is no moss growing on this rolling stone. You are constantly doing something, so congratulations on your publishing of two books and Thank you. Thank you. What we'll do is that you just have one of them you just held up before the show. You wanted to yep. talk about this your is first my very
1: latest endeavor This is my 25th anniversary book. I started the script, Mr. Bunnell explains it all way back in 1997. and um, a few years ago I did the 20th anniversary book. But now I've hit the 25th, which is a huge milestone, so I've updated it, added a lot of new material. This is the closest I've ever come to creating a coffee table book. It's hardcover, all colored, glossy pages inside, samples of all my various cartoons, plus it has examples of my very early cartoons and so on and so forth. So wow. you learn everything you ever want to know about my strip here, for instance, how one of my strips was used by a French uh, high school textbook to tell people how absurd American culture is. All kinds of fun <laughs> stuff like that. So, 100 so pages. Yeah, go ahead. How
0: many is it? You said it's how many? It's like 100 and 200 and what is it?
1: Uh, well, it's got at least 150 pages, I think. Okay. All full color, glossy. Um, some really old, some of my old black and white strips, so it really Allows you to compare what my script was like 25 years ago compared to what it's like today. Oh, I went from the era of pen and ink on paper to all digital with graphic tablets and so forth.
0: Right. So, so talk to us a bit about how you kind of curated which stri- strips went in there because essentially for 25 years you could have easily put in all 25 years worth of that and it would have been a 500-page book. So. Talk about how you curated it. Well,
1: them. yes, I have, since I've done the strip for 25 years, I probably have about 3,000 cartoons. And they're all uh, divided by subject. And that's the way I did it in the book. So, for um, instance movies and TV. Mm-hmm. So, so it's alphabetized, two or three pages per topic. And what I tried to do is get a sampling of, The very earliest cartoons I did on the topic, then ones maybe I did 10 years ago, and then ones that I just did this year Mm. to show the evolution of the topic and, um, you know, how my thoughts have changed. One of the points I make out in the book is because I'm a historian, uh, it's fun to look back at 25 years ago when I was doing cartoons about Bill Clinton or George W. Bush, you know, (laughs) how have things changed over the years? some issues have changed a great deal and other issues haven't changed at all (laughs) uh ones i did about guns 25 years ago are still relevant today ones i did about education and so forth
0: right what about what are some of the ones that have like not changed it well that that have changed significantly
1: uh well of course different presidents have come and gone over the years right uh but i deliberately try to choose topics that are evergreen as opposed to, uh, I tried to avoid putting in cartoons that wouldn't mean anything today because the news item that they're about is long forgotten. Right. I make that point in the book. I say there's advantages and disadvantages to being a political cartoonist. The is I'll never run out of material because as long as politicians continue to say and do stupid things. <laughs> but my cartoons have a very short shelf life. Right. And as soon as the news item is passe, the cartoon's irrelevant until we dig it back up again years later from a historical perspective. Right. So um, I just republished one recently on Facebook that I had done about Ken Starr because he just died. Right. But I did one way back in the Clinton era when the whole Monica Lewinsky thing was happening. So I rummaged through my archives and found that, oh, yeah. So. And,
0: and so like I've got a good exam- an example of just recently here in in the news for in here in Vermont, for instance, as of October first they are Vermont is going to be able to have you know legally you can legally purchase marijuana marijuana uh items here so did you ever see like would that be an example of also of how times have changed, that would be one thing that's that's changed oh, yeah. significantly in the last 20 years.
1: Yeah, that's something I could have never predicted 25 mm. years ago. Yeah. I, I have been told that my cartoons do predict the future. For instance, in 2011, I predicted Trump would be president someday. But there's some things even I couldn't foresee, and that was one of them. It was interesting when I'm going back, rummaging through the records, the whole same-sex marriage thing, because Vermont was on the forefront of that. Way back in the day, with our uh, uh, what did we call it? It Wasn't we didn't call it same-sex marriage then. It
0: was was, um, uh, civil civil unions.
1: Civil unions, yes. Yeah. So I had done cartoons about that back when it was happening, and now look at it today. So yeah. Uh,
0: Um. So so I guess my question: So would you do like say for your thirtieth anniversary? Would what would be stopping you from just Produce having like a massive, like five hundred or six hundred page book <laughs> of all of them because where where else can somebody actually have all your Mr. Burnell explains it all fans? Well, have like a tome <laughs> of all of your books. That's an interesting
1: least. idea. I remember when Gary Larson retired, they put out this massive volume of every Far Side cartoon. I think it cost like a hundred dollars to buy that book. <laughs> I don't know if there'd be a market for a hundred dollar book of Mister. Brunel cartoons, but I could put out a series of volumes by topic, I suppose. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. Be good. Yeah.
0: Because, like you said, it's already split up into that, so that'd be interesting. Yeah.
1: So, yeah. So yeah, that's something to consider.
0: And we 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 always talk about Bob that we do have people that that listen and watch the show that are also cartoonists, are also wanting to learn about this, so this is the first time that I might've interviewed somebody that has actually done a hardcover tome in that sense. So, so talk to us a bit about like the, the benefits and the the benefits or the drawbacks of actually investing in making a hardcover version. When would, what would be your advice for cartoonists to,
1: or when
0: would you suggest doing hardcover?
1: Well, uh, this is my most expensive book, So uh, this will cost, uh, about 30 bucks for someone to mm. buy. Uh, but it's, it's fairly thin. You get a good value for your money, but I couldn't make all my books like this. I wouldn't be able to sell them, but I felt because my 21st 25th anniversary, I felt it was a special occasion, right. but uh, that's why I went the extra mile, and made it a hardback. Um, I suppose I could re-release it as a soft cover a little cheaper, but, um, I got a pretty good deal doing it through a Kindle, Amazon Kindle. So I'm able to um, make them fairly cheaply, even though it's glossy, full color, and so forth. Mm. But it's a very nice book. Somebody who's interested in the history of cartooning, I know people bought. I did one years ago, as I said, my 20th anniversary. I got it. Yeah, here it is. This is the one I did for my 20th anniversary. And I've sold a few of them. But I also do these just for my own records, you know, so I have an archive. The historian in me, it's it's got to exist. (laughs) Right.
0: And was that, was was your 20th, that was a hardcover too, you said? Yeah. Okay. All right. And how how is, and so then also from the self-publishing perspective, how have prices changed in five years?
1: They have gone up um, considerably. In fact, I tried, I considered publishing this through Lulu and I investigated it and it would have been twice as expensive, literally twice as expensive. Wow. So I've pretty much given up on Lulu. Yeah. So my other latest book is this uh, latest collection of my cartoons. And this was also done through Kindle and I'm able to sell it. Even though this now has more cartoons in it than my previous anthology, I can sell it cheaper. Because wow. it's uh, it's just cheaper to print going that way, right? So, yeah.
0: so so talk to us a bit about as well that you just had a another new project that we kind of talked about the last time you were on, and we kind of talked about it when um, when our mutual friend uh, Joe Sichor was on um, the the week after when we when we chatted, and that was that the two of you were working on a comic
1: book. Here it is. There yes. On Horror Comics. And we've had a ball doing this. It was it was a hoop. Uh,
0: <laughs> Joe, Joe
1: selected five of his favorite stories. And then I created cartoon versions of us, uh, sort of like Click and Clack, the Tappet Brothers from Car Talk. You know? Right.
0: <laughs> or like <laughs>
1: Scooby Doo. And then we pretended to be a pair of ghost hunters who lived in the crypto. Castle here, and we uh, go on all these adventures. So he would write the scripts and then send them to me, and then I would break them down and figure out which image should go with each line Hmm. and how many, how much dialogue would go on each page, and so forth. And then I would create roughs and I would send them to him, and he would go over them and edit them and offer suggestions. And then once we agreed on what it should be like, then I redid them. As uh, the final versions, right. we patterned our idea after those old Warren comics from the seventies, like mm. creepy and eerie. Right, so that was the kind of effect we're going for. Full co- color cover, but then black and white interior. Right, and, um, it was a lot of
0: fun. And so, how is it different? You are normally a uh a soul soul worker like you're you're the one that kind of works on your own how 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 much different is it for you to kind of work with
1: a writer uh well joe and i had worked on the vermont ghost guide of course right and we also worked on the vermont ghost experience so we we've worked together on several things so we've worked out a system um we're I'm easy to get along with, and so is he. So we haven't had any major rows or anything. But if we do uh, have a difference of opinion, I usually defer to him because he's the author. So eventually, we discuss it back and forth, and then we reach a compromise, and then we go with it. Right. So,
0: uh, I remember one of them. One of the compromises that you you talked to us about was the font.
1: Yes. Having it, not, yeah. <laughs> I had originally planned to do all capitals like comic books do right but he wanted uh, small small letters uh, like would be text from a story that and so I tried it both ways and I showed him examples of both types and we eventually agreed that he was right it probably looked better doing it with the uh, small letters it looks more like a text it fit It actually worked out better visually because it gave me more space to make the drawings. Right. Because that's the chief problem with both cartoon strips and illustration work and a project like this, is you're trying to pack a maximum amount of information into a minimum amount of space. Right. So it's all about real estate, you know.
0: Right. And how did this work for him as a writer for that is now – he's working in a visual medium in the sense that it's a comic book uh so did you work with him on how to script that out or did he just send you well he would
1: yeah dialogue? in the script he would not only have the dialogue but then he'd have instructions this is what i think should be happening in this panel, in that right. panel and that man so forth and so i again that's where the roughs came in very helpful i would rough it out very sketchily and which is easy to correct if so no let's move right. this over here let's make this figure bigger let's move this into the foreground and so forth as he said and I've I've said this when I've taught cartooning plotting out a graphic novel or a comic is a lot like directing a movie
0: hmm.
1: the panels are very much like shots in a movie so right. do we want a close up, do we want a long shot, do we want a panorama? You know, how do we want to do this? And so, no oh go ahead. He usually deferred to me when it came to the visuals, and I always deferred to him when it came to the text. So
0: there are in here, there are five stories. Is that yeah. correct? And it's a 32-page, to be clear for our listeners and viewers out there, this is a comic book. It's a 32-page comic book. So you have five stories. Each one is roughly about six pages each?
1: Yeah. The longest one is the uh, Northfield Phantom. It's ten pages long. The others are between uh, four and six pages.
0: The stories on here, some of these uh, fans of uh, Joe Citro's uh, work will be familiar with these five or or any of these stories brand new to the Joe
1: Citro. No, no he's written about them in his previous books. Okay. And, uh, yeah. We kind of fictionalized some of them in such a way to make them work in the comic book format. And we left out a lot of details. When he writes about these at length in the books, the stories are much longer. Right. But these are all actual... Uh, These aren't fiction. These are actual stories that he's investigated over the years. The cover story about the frozen folk of Farmer Morse is a very old story that dates back to the 19th century. In fact, I first encountered it years ago in the book Mischief in the Mountains that was put out in the 60s, I think, by Vermont Life magazine. And um, that's when I And that's
0: about... In that and that one if i recall that's the story that there's the a legend that in order to save in order to save on food and whatnot that there's a, a legend that um some vermonters would actually like freeze their frail folks whether it the children or or the elderly freeze them and then thaw them out in the, in the springtime
1: yep yeah. yep yeah. yep
0: yeah. And you also have on there the the Lair of the Beast. What yeah. would, what's that story that people might be familiar with?
1: Well, the Lair of the Beast is um, uh, supposedly there was some kind of monster living in a cave, and when the men go to investigate, they find yeah they found the skeletons, and they found a huge cache of uh, Spanish coins and silver and gold uh, dating back to the sixteen hundreds, I think. So, um, and according to Joe, according to legend, that money's still there. (laughs) No one has claimed it. So, the gist of the story was he said, We should go get it, and then we can pay the rent on our mansion that we're living in.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And then you had on there what, Matt Matt Anthony's ghost? What was that one? Yeah,
1: he's unique in that he's the only ghost that we know of that haunts two places at the same time. Really? Usually, usually, ghosts only are in one location, but he's uh, he haunts both Fort Ticonderoga and a uh, place in Vermont as well. Wow. So, <laughs>
0: okay. And then you had Lake Rescue. What is that Lake one? Lake
1: Rescue is a Bigfoot story. Okay. Uh, uh, Bigfoot is common all out across America, but a lot of people don't realize that there have been Bigfoot sightings here in Vermont in Mm. fact when we did the vermont monster map bigfoot was our ringer in case we couldn't find a monster for a certain county because we tried to get a monster per county so if there was a county that didn't have a monster that's where we plugged in bigfoot but the gist of this story is that a little girl's lost in the woods and she's taken care of by what she thinks was a sheep but uh and then but the rescuers think no it was probably a bear but then Joe says, no, it was probably Bigfoot. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and, then the, and then the fifth story was the Northfield Phantom.
1: Northfield Phantom, the pig man. Uh, he's mentioned in the book that Joe and Steve Bissett did, the Vermont Monster Guide. Okay. And Steve did a tremendous drawing of the Pigman, much better yeah. than the one I did. But uh, yeah, the pig man apparently is this creature that's half human, half pig and he's been sighted around Northfield on several occasions. Hmm.
0: So, I I'm curious uh that you, the two of you are I would say pragmatic skeptics in the sense is that uh, for you and I know if I asked Joseph this in a previous interview I'm just and I, I haven't actually asked you this is that where do you, as Robert Burnell Jr., sit on some of these stories? Are all of those, would you be able to completely, you know, explain away? Or some of these would you scratch your head on?
1: I, am pro- I probably believe in the supernatural more than Joe does. Mm-hmm. I do believe ghosts exist. My sister has seen them. Mm-hmm. And my wife has seen them. and So I do believe in ghosts. Joe, on the other hand, um, is more of a skeptic. His approach—he's more of a folklorist. Right. For him, it's about the stories, and he loves to collect these stories and preserve them, both for historical and literary reasons. And but uh, he always—he does leave some room for doubt. I mean, you know, he said yeah, it could be. You know, he never. But. As he said in his interview, because he's collecting these stories, he has to be much more careful about people trying to hoax him. Right. So he, he takes a very scientific approach and he backs everything up. He does lots of research and investigates the background stories. And he can tell, as he said, whether somebody's tried to pull the wool over his eyes or not. Right. But a good story is a good story, even if it is patently false. <laughs> you know but in the Ghost Guide, I would say at least fifty percent of the stories uh, have no other explanation. I mean, mm. these these really are ghosts. Some of them you can be skeptical about, but others are pretty straightforward. You know, right? Like the house that got filled with water. Did you ever tell you that story? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. There, there's no sign of explanation why that happened. So, right? You know, who knows?
0: And so how did you pick though because literally you've been working with joe there's hundreds and hundreds of stories why did you pick these five to be the inaugural issue for your vermont horror comics
1: well uh we went through the ghost guide that we had done which has hundreds of stories yeah. and we picked ones that i felt would have good visual possibilities okay and then he went through and picked some of his favorites and then we compared notes and then we wintered it down to these five. But we're we're currently working on another five because we hope to put out another volume of these. In fact, we'd like to do one of these every few months. So, yeah, there's plenty more material out there.
0: And is there going to be a point where there's actually also going to be a subplot of, of you two <laughs> as your characters? Like you kind of mentioned, we need to help pay the rent. Is there going to be a subplot we generator? Could be. We haven't
1: series? thought that far ahead, but yeah, that, that we could. Um, I don't know. That's an intriguing yeah. idea. I'll we'll have to investigate that further. <laughs> <laughs> it would be fun to, yeah, do, do a behind the scenes story where, um, of course, a lot of it's done tongue in cheek. Like the story about Matt Anthony when we're investigating the ghost, Joe wrote in his notes we should be carrying lots of ridiculous looking equipment. I didn't show you that page, but we're on the beach and okay. um, we have earphones, and, you know, all this gear. If you watch those ghost hunter shows, like on this history channel, <laughs> they've uh, put on the thermal camera. See if you can find it. You know, they all have all this pseudo scientific stuff. So he said, let's make it look really ridiculous. And like, right. <laughs> so,
0: and and are you, were you also, cause you also talked about some of the visual perspective of that uh do you also trying to make sure that there's some, uh, geographic equity among all of Vermont as well, or is that just kind of more of a tertiary
1: part of it? In other words, where the stories take place. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if Joe took that into consideration when you're selecting the stories or not. Um, there's stories pretty evenly distributed throughout the whole state. Um, we did take that into consideration when we were doing the maps, the haunted house map, and the right, the uh, monster map. We wanted to make sure every county was represented. Right. So, um, I think Bur- when we we're doing the ghost guide, I think Burlington has more ghosts than anywhere else in Vermont, which makes sense; as the biggest city. <laughs> right. But uh, every single college in Vermont has a ghost, apparently. Oh, okay. Yeah. So. And-
0: and, and you, I noticed too, like the, the, the beginning of it, that the two of you are sitting in a Is that mansion in a real life mansion or is that something that was a fictional one you made up? No, of? I made
1: that up. Um, okay. It's my fantasy Victorian dream house. I okay. wanted to make it ridiculously elaborate. So what I did actually is I created a three-dimensional model on um, Google SketchUp. Okay. And that, that I could I could look at it from any angle and use it as a reference for the various pictures. Wow. Yeah, so I give so, do a side view, front view.
0: So talk to us about that. That's th- This is a good tip to, to give uh, cartoonists. Talk about Google SketchUp.
1: I use it a lot. Um, I'm trying to think in the... I can find you a museum. Well, the cover of the Vermont Ghost Experience, that room that we're sitting in, I created on Google SketchUp. Okay. I could import the wallpaper, I could import the furniture. It's like creating a movie set, and then I can move the camera around, look at the buildings or the room. I can do either interiors or exteriors. And as I said, I can import pictures. For instance, in the background, you see that painting on the wall? That's one of my paintings. (laughs) I I just worked it into the, the composition. And the fascinating thing is, if you do something like that and then turn the camera, it'll keep it in perspective. So it'll take that drawing or painting or wallpaper pattern and it'll keep it in the correct perspective when I change the angle of view. Okay. It's a very handy tool. Plus, you can go onto the 3D warehouse and import. Say, I want a Victorian table. Well, somebody out there has already made one. So you can just import it into the model position it where you want it and so forth.
0: And is, and that's, and that's, is that free to use? Yes, it is. Okay. Is, would you be able to do like t- like entire streets or is it just like particularly... Yep. I far- built
1: an entire city once. Really? How I got into using it was when I was an art teacher. My first thing I did once I was teaching a unit on the Middle Ages, and this is when Google SketchUp first came out. This was like 15, 20 years ago. I created an entire three-dimensional castle with all the different parts. And then I would project it on the screen and show the students, I because I could move the cursor around. I could show them, here's the inside, here's the ramparts, here's the castle keep, and so forth. And I could look at it from every angle. In fact, I uploaded it into the 3D warehouse. So if you go to the 3D warehouse, look up my name, you'll find it still there. Oh, wow. When I That's did my superheroine comic, um, about Bellicose. I wanted to do a scene where she's flying over the city. So I created the entire city. And then I was able to alter the camera. So we're up in the sky looking down at the streets. And then I could draw her in place on top of that.
0: Hmm. And that's something that you would be able to utilize. Do you have to have, so I guess the question is that when artists are hearing about this, would you have to use SketchUp? Do you have to have can you just use a mouse or do you have to have to use like some sort
1: of pad or something? No, you can use a mouse. I okay. used it years ago with just a mouse. And um once you've created your image and you position your camera where you want it, then you can import that as a 2D graphic into Photoshop. And then you can take your digital pen and draw on top of it different layers of your figures or whatever you want to add to it afterwards. Right. And kind of make it in your own style. Right. Yeah. You could you could do several things. You could put an overlay of uh, uh what's called like an onion skin that fades it in the background, then you can come in and actually draw a trace on top making the alterations that you want to make and so forth.
0: Hmm.
1: Wow. That's,
0: That's interesting. Now to 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 get back at your to get back at uh at Vermont horror comics, now as of this recording we are in uh in the middle of September, we re- it's this is fall is basically here. Um, this is the time of year to actually start thinking about the ghosts and ghouls and the and the goblins that seem to prevail prevail popular thought uh, this time of year. Now, if somebody wanted to get this and, and buy this come where can they find this comic book right? It's now? on Amazon okay
1: all the books that joe and i have done in fact all the cartoon books that i've done are all available under his name or mine on amazon okay yeah there it is right there yeah and and uh, also oh go ahead
0: i'd say and also there the vermont ghost guide is on there as well
1: yeah and also vermont ghost experience and my new book uh my 25th anniversary book is there it's all it's all there okay so if you look up my name under Amazon, there it is. Yep. You can find everything
0: you need. Okay, yeah, and right now, as I say, you've you've been pushing out book after bur- book. <laughs> you also, we do want to mention, as you 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 talked to us earlier, that the apocalypse will be televised. A collection of Mister Burnell explains it all. Cartoons that was came out this year as well. Yeah, um, and we did talk about your lesser known haunted houses. Yeah, uh, which is. Yours, is almost a uh, almost an homage to, to Joe Citro. It's a satire.
1: He wrote the forward to it, but yeah, uh, the haunted house book that I did, the Vermont Ghost Experience, and the Vermont Ghost Guide are all published by Erie Lights, uh, okay. a publishing house out of uh, Texas, I believe. Okay. And okay. And then, if Mr. Burnell was drawn by, is my collection of. My homage to famous cartoonists, which I drew That's myself right. as if I was drawn by all of my favorite cartoons.
0: Right. And you talked about that on uh, episode yeah, 161 on when you were on here. Yeah, uh, yeah because you were uh, – yeah, your most recent ones, as we talked about since you were on last, is your 2022 collection and your, as we say, your 25th anniversary book as well. Yeah. So – no, if so people would have to people can also go to yeah, and see links to that as well. You also have a link to your to your page on there as well. Yep. Yep. It's all there. It's all there.
1: Man. Several of these books, including the horror comics, I will have available at the nonfiction comic fest that's coming up October 15th at the Fletcher Library in Burlington. That's right. So look for me there. I guess it goes from like eleven to five. yeah And yeah. I'll have a table there, selling some of these things.
0: It's it's very exciting. It's very exciting, uh, Robert, to to see that that more books, and I'm really excited to see what's going to be next on uh, issue number two. So the plan is once every four months we'll probably get a new issue. Is that the idea? <laughs>
1: I don't know if we'll have the next one done in four months, but yeah, we're, we do hope to do one may, we may have to wait till after the holidays to get going on it, but uh, yeah, at some point we do want to get it out. And I'm also working on a book that I began 10 years ago with Elaine Siegel, oh, okay, who uh, used to be a commentator for NPR's All Things Considered." Right. Unfortunately, she's passed away, but I worked on this book with her 10 years ago, but it never got published but uh, Lance Richberg, her husband, is a friend of mine, and he and I are in the works, getting that up and running as well. I did uh, 38 paintings for that book. Wow. It's gonna okay. be a lovely book once it comes out. So right. maybe we can talk about that next time we meet.
0: Absolutely, excellent. Well, great, well, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Robert, for coming on and uh, excited to excited oh, to check out your check out your books again. So, yeah, absolutely. All right, we are live. Here we go, Robert. All right, I'm going to get the so this is your fourth. This is your fourth time on, I believe. Is it really?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right.
0: Yeah. Let me check that out. Let me. Uh, let me pull that out. So I know I'm see. an
1: official friend of the show. So.
0: That's true. You are. Yeah, you're on episode four, episode sixty-six, one sixty-one, and now episode two hundred and six. A lot of sixes. See. Okay. <laughs>
1: Yeah, you should just have me on every every sixtieth broadcast.
0: See, there you go. Yeah, I'm gonna keep the keep it keep the ball rolling on that. Cool. All right, uh, let me get the let me get the intro in, Robert. and then we'll we'll jump right into it.
1: All right, here we go.